Hello and welcome to F1 Into the Barrier. I'm George Close. And I'm Ben Harker. And we're crashing into all things Formula One for this 2023 season. Does Anthony Davison have a future as an impressionist? Should Lance stick to strolling in the park? Has Ted got a sponsorship deal with Gouda? And we want you, our marshals, to get involved in the discussion too. So make sure you follow us at F1 Into the Barrier on Instagram. So, (laughs) a little bit rusty, dare I say, Ben. So, Ben, F1 Into the Barrier is back. I'd say we've got a new look, but as we're a podcast, I think we've got a new sound. We're going to be trying to do shorter episodes this year, and we've got rid of our fantasy analysis at the end of each episode, because truth be told, we kept forgetting, and it was actually pretty hard to follow. But I want to know from you what we're doing for our listeners, our marshals this year, to spice up the podcast and get a bit more engagement. Well, our marshals, you're in for an absolute treat. So me and George, we always go on a train. We always take a pack of top trunks. We can't talk to each other about stuff because we only talk about F1 on the podcast. So what we decided to do is do top trumps for Formula One drivers. And this is going to be taking a driver that's currently driving, comparing it to a historical driver. At the end of the season, we're going to see who is the top trump in the deck of Formula One, in our opinion at least. Yeah, and we're going to be throwing them out there for you so you can disagree or agree if you think we've been too harsh on Max Verstappen because nah, if you've listened before, you know that sometimes we have a couple little frustrations with Max. Be our guest. Get involved. We're really excited to hopefully bring you regular podcasts and regular discussion. Disclaimer, Ian, if you disagree with us on Max Verstappen, please don't switch off. We still want you as a listener. And we all talk about F1 and we all have a bit of fun. Okay, Ben, no more messing around. We're back refreshed after a winter off working on ourselves trying to improve and it seems like the formula one teams have been doing exactly the same as we've just had three days of testing in bahrain i want to know what has stood out for you what has impressed you the most who has impressed you the most over these three days so george cutting straight to the point red bull look like they're still the team to beat some very clever innovations that have developed their car and the clear head of the pack i think i'm very impressed by them the other one up there for me is aston martin i mean dare i say they look like they might actually pit mercedes for third in constructors this year and not only did aston martin have a car the amr 23 i like by the way that they number it in line with the year at aston martin very satisfying i hate this whole rb19 nonsense and it's 2023 But anyway, not only is their car impressive and looking quick, Ted Kravitz thinks it's quicker than the Mercedes, but they actually had a very, apart from maybe the first half an hour of testing, pretty smooth run. Djokovic, the young Brazilian, the F2 champion who stood in for Stroll, who's hurt his wrists after a cycling accident, he put in 117 laps. I mean, Alonso seems to have pulled off a perfectly timed move, which you'd never say about Fernando Alonso. No, touch wood, this seems to have gone perfectly well for him. And the scary thing as well, his race run on Sunday was something that every engineer and everyone across the paddock was murmuring their ascent of how good that race run was and how that could actually go into the first race of the season and actually could be up there with the very, very top echelons of the people competing for the championship. So Alonso's timed it well, I think so. The interesting thing for me, though, about Asma as well, Drogovic getting that many laps in, Do you reckon he's actually going to be racing in the first race of the season? Yes, well, they initially refused to rule out bringing back Sebastian Vettel for the first race to replace Stroll. But they've now dismissed that and they say they are going to go with Drogovic if Stroll's not ready. So I think you're right. It showed a lot of faith. 
I think he managed to do what every person in his position, a Formula 2 champion, wants to do to get into Formula 1. Have somebody injured above you and get to have 117 laps and show what you're worth. He looked good. He looked consistent. He did what they wanted. He's clearly got the pedigree. And whilst I would personally have loved to have seen Seb back, actually, we should be giving as many opportunities to these F2 drivers as possible. And if that means he gets a start in Bahrain, then brilliant. Let's see what he's made of. Completely agree. And it's nice to see pretty much the last six years, I think it is, or seven years, apart from one of the F2 champions actually racing in F1. If Mick Schumacher was still racing this year, that would be the last seven F2 champions that would still be racing in F1, which shows the career path you can do if you're very good in F2, which is great to see. So looking down from the people that are really impressed to the ones that have impressed, but perhaps are going a bit under the radar, a bit quiet, Ferrari for me, I'm not entirely sure where they're at. It's a lot of talk across the palette. They've got a good, reliable car again. It's going to be quick, but we've not really seen them necessarily competing with the same race runs and simulations as, as Red Bull at this point. Some would say Aston Martin have impressed more in the race simulations as well. So what's your thoughts on Ferrari? I think Ferrari are comfortably in the top two. There's the general consensus is that Red Bull have come out strongest and Ferrari, while maybe they haven't improved as much in lap time as some other teams, you know, Williams are 2.4 seconds quicker in this testing than they were last year. Aston Martin, again, are like 2.4 seconds quicker. Ferrari didn't have that much to gain, but they've still made enough improvements to stay, I think, sitting comfortably behind Red Bull. Then we've got a really clear, comfortable Aston Martin Mercedes. Behind that, it's a bit of a mystery. But Ferrari had a pretty good testing. You know, Fred Vasseur's come in. He's had a pretty good start. No red flags for them. And his job is to steady the ship, get consistent strategy calls, and we'll see going in, can they actually overcome their biggest obstacle, which hasn't been development. It wasn't development last year. Yes, their car did porpoise a lot, but they seem to be able to manage it better than everyone else. It was all strategy. So where they sit in that top four bracket really comes down to their race day decision making, because in the car, they've got two very good, very typically consistent drivers, although they've got different strengths, Charles with qualifying signs in the race. So I don't know. I'm excited. I don't think they'll be pushing Max, though, at the front yet. What about you? How do you see that Ferrari team performing over, let's say, the first three races? I think Ferrari will, again, be a bit down in some circuits compared to Red Bull. But the ones where they're going to be strongest, they need to win those races, which is what they didn't do last year. I mean, we started Drive to Survive and we were commenting they should really have capitalised a lot more when Red Bull had those early issues and got DNFs, but they just didn't. That's the thing about Ferrari. They need to be consistently delivering on the racetracks that they have the better car on. I'm hoping that Fred Fossier can definitely guide the team in the right direction. I think he's very capable in terms of his leadership qualities, his organisation. I'm optimistic because I really like how he managed Alfa Romeo and I think he'll do the same at Ferrari. I want to move on from Ferrari, but I'm desperate to cut in and get your opinion on something, Ben. Last year, about five, six races in, when they had failed to capitalise on some of Red Bull's reliability issues, dare I say strategy errors as well, there was pressure for Sainz to become a number two driver. Do you think that pressure on Ferrari and Bonotti at the time was fair? Do you think they should have had to start prioritising Charles Leclerc that quickly into the season? I think if you've got a weaker car and you're up against Verstappen who's in a stronger car and has a teammate that basically won't outscore him and is not allowed to outscore him by the, the s- rumourings and the murmurings in the paddock and 
and what we see on track. I think you sort of have to prioritize one driver very quickly. The only problem was it was, what, two, three races in that we were having this discussion about, like, signs becoming second driver. That's way too soon in terms of, like, fairness, and that can cause a rift. You're against a team that's just going to prioritize one driver, so you need to prioritize one driver to maximize your points. But I think Sainz and Leclerc are so evenly matched in terms of skills. It's going to be one of those things where you have to see how they do after five, six races before you can make a decision. And I think Fred Fasil will do that, and he has said that he will do that, because I think that's the right approach to beat Red Bull. Ferrari developed this car 1.3 seconds faster, but Red Bull developed this car 1.4 seconds faster than last year in testing. So they're already losing time in testing. Is that going to translate onto the track as well? I have a fear that it will do. So it would be interesting to see. But in terms of improvements, George... But we're still not entirely sure about Mercedes did make improvements this year. They made two seconds gain on the testing last year. It looks a lot more solid, but all the murmurings is not quite enough to be challenging for second and first. In fact, it might actually not be enough to secure third. What's your thoughts on Mercedes? Well, I am enjoying your murmurings, Ben. Lots of murmurings. You're liking, <laughs> you're liking your murmurings amongst the paddock. We'll see what I keep saying shortly as well after a little winter rustiness. The Mercedes, well, I think they had a much better testing than last year. They appear to have sorted out the porpoising issue. Although, as Mike Elliott, the technical director, said in an interview with Ted Kravitz, they were running quite high drag. They weren't really going for top speeds in testing. They were all about aero. So will that issue come back when they are trying to run in their race trim? They've got a few little tricks as well up their sleeve to help with the weight and get some ballast back, which all the teams have been really, really trying to get this year to help them with balance. They've saved a kilogram in paint, Ben. That's part of their going back to black design has been weight savings, which is pretty incredible. You know, that's not happened before in other teams, how much weight you can save there. But on that Saturday, there seemed to be trouble brewing, Ben. They had a late night emergency meeting. What did you make of that? I think when it comes to Mercedes, they're always going to do things in a way where everyone has an input. So it's a no blame. Everyone gets together, talks about the issues. I think what they were looking at is they're not necessarily meeting, say, the targets that they expected on this car. To quote the words that McLaren keeps saying about targets. So I reckon they were having a meeting to discuss what type of simulations they want to do for the rest of the testing. What issues came up with George's car when it broke down? Are these manufacturing issues? Is this something in the design that caused the issues? Are there going to be a recurrence? Yeah, I mean, what's nice to see is they seem to have got their mojo back with innovation. Last year, they did the slim side pods, and I think they were fretting because they couldn't get it to work. Well, I say slim side pods, no side pods, really. This year, they've managed to take forward a couple of their technical innovations. Something I really thought was interesting is that the front wing end plate cutout they had last year was explicitly banned by the FAA, but they found a loophole to keep it in. And the FIA seemed to accept the loophole they found. So maybe we see that from other teams coming in too. But all of that aero improvement, the stability, I think they're happy. I think they're just worried, as you say, with where they sit comparatively. And closing that gap is very hard. And man, oh man, that Red Bull, it looks so stable. But I think we should pick up on who we're worried about. We're not going to have time to talk about everyone, Ben. But there are some worries, I would say, for me, noticeably Alpine and McLaren. Let's start with McLaren because we're excited about Oscar Piastri and we're excited about Lando Norris because we're big Lando Norris fans. What did you make of what was a bit of an underwhelming testing? Well, to quote them, they're not reaching the targets that they set themselves, which is a worrying statement coming straight into testing after a couple of days. 
It looks like they're again behind the eight ball. They've lost a few personnel as well, which doesn't help with consistency and development. There's a bit of confusion there, I think, perhaps in the design features as a result, which has meant that confusion has led into a reduced performance. They still have made performance improvements to testing last year, which is, I guess, a positive, but last year they weren't exactly great either. But it's a real worry that I don't think they'll be there or thereabouts again for podiums or anything like that. They'll be trying to scrape into 10th, 9th, 8th. The exciting thing for us, let's be honest, is watching Norris and Piastri play out. Is Norris going to have to set the bar early to guide Piastri or is he going to demoralise him almost like he did Ricardo, put him on the ropes? Who knows? I think when you're in a team that's struggling, you need to work as a partnership to develop that car. So all the pressure is going to be on Norris. This is going to be the first time that he's the most experienced driver in that car. He's going to lead all the feedback. It'll be interesting what role he can do with that. I'm also excited to see what Piastri could do as well, because he's a young driver, George. I am very, I was very happy when McLaren actually signed him. So, you know what? Although the future looks bleak for McLaren, I think they've got a couple of shining stars in that team, which hopefully, if not this year, next year or the year after, they can start pushing up the grid. When you haven't got a good car, you've got to be getting the strategy right and maximising. Alpine seem to have almost taken a step back. We'll talk about them more perhaps in our preview show for the Grand Prix. I was worried there. I think Ocon and Gasly may have a bit of a difficult time getting that Alpine up to speed, particularly on a Saturday. It doesn't look quick at all, does it? No, it doesn't look quick at all. And it's the only car in the whole paddock that's actually lost time comparatively to last year's testing. So that is a worry because that is almost a sign of taking a step back. And they've got a driver partnership which... Everyone talks about us not being friends, not being friendly, or due to the rivalry growing up, always racing each other. There's a bit of tension there. What will happen when that's put under pressure? Will they crack? Will there be massive explosions of arguments, discussions, flare up? I mean, we see Ocon all the time as a driver, not really getting on the best relationships with his teammates. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Changing the subject completely, because as you said, we can't really talk about every team. We're always trying to get opinions nowadays. I want to know your opinion of your favourite livery for this season and which is your least favourite. My favourite livery, I think, is the Aston Martin. I don't know if that's been changed by their good testing, but I've always really loved that racing green that they go out in. It's almost got a hint of teal in it to me, and that is my favourite colour. So I think it's looking really cool. My least favourite livery, hmm, I don't think there's been any really poor ones this year. I don't think the Ferrari particularly blew me away. It didn't seem bold or interesting. A, a little bland for a Ferrari livery. What, what about you? I think my favourite, actually, bit of a curveball, was the Alfa Romeo. I think that car looks very good on launch, looks really good on track, really cool car. Like you, though, I do like the back-to-black in Mercedes, but there's something about the Alfa Romeo I just I really, really do enjoy. The fact that Bottas is racking that Aussie rules football moustache also really adds to the whole picture for that car. And my least favourite one would probably be the Alfa Tauri. It doesn't look like the Alfa Tauri. It doesn't really combine well. That's the one I'm least impressed with. The Haas also gets a noticeable mention because that will look really good on the launch as well. Yeah, definitely did. And I think across testing, now we've got such a good insight. They've got to be a lot of filler on the commentary, Sky Sports. What was your favourite little snippet of commentary or analysis or just plain nonsense from the testing coverage? I think for me, the one that really stands out, and I've still got the picture in my mind, it's just Crofty's jacket that was just passed around that was dazzling everyone's eyes and sequins everywhere. And the next thing, you know, you've got Gunter Steiner wearing it, the exact same one. I was just like, oh, what is what is this madness? Why is now Ant wearing it? 
love it. You can't really go wrong with that sort of thing, can you? Just because it's pure bonkers and F1 filler. Yeah, Ben, that jacket was funny. Passing around, I don't know, blessing or a curse. And speaking of Ant, Ant's impersonations of Crofty were terrible. They were so bad. Sky were putting them out like they were good on their Instagram channel, I saw, but oh my God, terrible. They've not got the experience, dare I say, of test match special and how to speak over nothing. They are not used to that. It's normally such a high octane commentary. They don't know how to take a step back. It would be interesting to do like a crossover commentary of testing an F1 and test match cricket. See how the commentators can blend into each other's sport quite well <laughs> with all the filler they need to do. So Ben, I think we're coming to a natural end. It's been really fascinating hearing your insight on testing. Hopefully plenty more insight and analysis over a podcast filled year. I think to finish us off, I just want to know what's going to be the biggest surprise, Ben? Come on, put on that Nostradamus hat that you love so much. What's the biggest surprise? And then let's just get going with our preview show for Bahrain. My biggest surprise this season is someone we've not really talked about. It's going to be Hulkenberg, and he's going to get a podium this season, George. I can feel it in my bones. That's what's going to happen. Hulkenberg getting a podium. Hulkenberg podium. That sounds like a brilliant way to end this podcast. Thank you for listening. Please make sure you follow us at F1 Into the Barrier on Instagram for our updates we throw out there. Catch you next time. Lots of murmurings. The murmurings. More murmurings. There's murmuring. Murmurings. Murmuring.